If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 260, that's 260, of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This week, Frank Martin is back, and he's talking about volume three of his wonderful series called Modern Testament, a book that's based on biblical and mythological creatures and beings, and I like that kind of thing, as you know if you've listened to this podcast before. So we discuss this newest volume and some really interesting stories that he's telling in there. It's a three-story book, and one I think you're going to really enjoy, particularly in this holiday season. Frank also updates us on what's coming and what kinds of things we can expect in this series as it comes to a conclusion, including a homework assignment for you, which I'm sure you're going to enjoy finding out. There's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. It's always great to talk with Frank Martin, creator of such wonderful things as Modern Testament, which has the wonderful subtitle of Anthology of the Ethereal. How are you doing today, Frank? Hey, Wayne. What's going on? Good, good. I understand you have a third volume coming out. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, volume three actually just came out this past Monday, mm-hmm. uh, released by the same publisher, Insane Comics. It's in print and digital like the other two. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of continues the theme. It's got three stories. Uh, take three different biblical beings, three different characters from kind of biblical mythology, and got shorts based on them. Okay. Why don't you tell people a little bit about the series? Because we've talked before, but just in case anybody hasn't listened to the previous interview, what is Modern Testament about? Because this is kind of an anthology book, which is something unusual today, but it's really good. I really love the first two volumes, and I like the third one, too, which we'll get into in a minute. Yeah, it's an anthology series, which I think is pretty unique. And not many people, when they make anthologies, it's usually one-shots or one-offs. And they each consist of three stories. And they take biblical beings, angels, demons, golems, horsemen of the apocalypse, whatever. And each story tries to isolate the theme or the narrative behind each character and places them in a a modern setting. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, I keep each story standalone. They're not part of a shared universe, so that it kind of gives me the freedom to do what I want without trying to figure out, well, does this make sense here in relation to this or whatnot? So they're they're all standalone. You can pick up any volume and just start reading, and you don't have to know any backstory or, or anything like that. You and I talked before about the whole notion of biblical characters and how that seems to be a thing these days in comics. Why don't you again just talk a little bit about why you chose to do biblical or, or mythological kind of creatures? 
it wasn't any conscious choice, really. Mm-hmm. I wrote one short, which was about an angel. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I figured, what do I need to do with this short? And to keep the same theme, I wrote one based on a demon, and then it, it took off from there. But I think I've spoken about this in some of the back matter of the books, and that these characters, these mythological characters, are pretty timeless in a way. I mean, they are the beginning of stories themselves, and they've lasted throughout the ages, so that they've been pretty common in, in comics now, but I think they'll always be common in all forms of media because there's, there's something about them that no matter what time we're in or what setting or what era, whatever technological achievements or progress has happened, they always have a place as far as being a relevant story, being relevant characters. It's kind of interesting because you don't necessarily have to believe in them in order to be able to read these stories. You can enjoy the setting of them and the understanding of them that we all pretty much have. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of the fact that they're connected to religion makes them pretty unique. But in in my view, I mean, they're mythological characters and in, in some ways very fictional, just as any superhero. Mm-hmm. It's really good. And of course, they're like early day superhero kind of things because they're supernatural kind of thing, which is what really superheroes have become. And supernaturals are kind of a 20th century phenomenon, but the stuff of angels and demons and jinns and other things have gone on for centuries before. So it's kind of good to get, we're getting back to our roots, it seems like. I know a lot of common modern scholars and literary historians like to call superheroes the mythology of our time. So mm-hmm. just, just kind of running with that, you think that that was the mythology back then, and we're making our own mythology now with superheroes. So it's it just keeps on going. Which is kind of cool. I mean, that as long as there are uh, there's beyond our ability, then we'll always believe that there are characters or, or creatures that can go beyond that place because we know it's possible. Even though maybe science might not agree with it, but our imagination can figure it out. And so it's always going to be there for us to look at. I think even in, you know, if you watch science fiction futures where people are living, you know, the, living up to the sky and towers and stuff like that, there's always some kind of mythology going on with that. So I think you're right in time with this is going to be a timeless thing. Yeah. Why don't we get into the stories? One other thing, though, I do want to talk about the fact that you use different artists on each one. Does that kind of help bring the book together? Do you pick artists based on what the subject matter is? How do you do that? I, I try to. I try to match a different artists with a theme of the book or something that I think would bring out the context of the book. And by bringing on different artists, it really gives the book an overall theme rather than a lot of time. If you got a story from beginning to end and you have the same artists, you get the same feeling from beginning to end. But mixing it up with different characters and different artistic feels really expands upon the book and gives a fuller experience. Because in this book, you've got gin and you've got pestilence. And you give a very different feel based on the artist that you chose. How do you go about finding them? Do you go online? How do you get these people? Do you know some of these folks? It's a combination of all sorts of things, either people that I I, I miss working on uh, various projects I try to hook up with through this. Some people I've met through ads. Some people I've just networked through Facebook. So there's no one telltale method to trying to find people. Do you ever return them? Do you bring them back? Do you use different persons every time, or are there certain people that you like to bring back if you've got a certain kind of story? For Modern Testament itself, mm-hmm. uh, I try not to use the same artists, even though I've had some great experiences with people, simply because I want to try to get as many people involved in the series as possible. But there have been artists that I've worked with in Modern Testament that I'm now hooking up again for future projects. Mm-hmm. Those are pretty cool. And you, you get a nice variety of them. I think you bring out a lot of the best of these people because a lot of the stories as I read them, they really shine as far as the storytelling goes. I think it uh, really works well. 
Yeah, I've learned from very early on when you're trying to create a comic, you write a script, and at the same time, you bring an artist on board to try to bring your original vision to life. But at the same time, you got to trust their artistic vision when they're scripting, when they're working off the script, to try to give their own flavor and their own feel to the story. So you really, it's kind of a push and pull between those two aspects. I bet you get surprised oftentimes by the artwork that you get back. Yeah, sometimes I'm like, I had no idea they would interpret what I said based off that. And sometimes it looks terrible. And sometimes it was like, I wonder why I didn't think of that. It was a great move. So. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Have you ever changed the story based on that an artist come back and say, you know, this would be better if you did this? Nothing is so big as I changed the story itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, just probably pacing or the way it feels or the way the layout looks was different than what I intended. Minor things that in the overall context of the story, the way it reads becomes mm-hmm. bigger, but they're not anything substantive as far as the story itself goes. Well, of course, you're interested in telling the story the best way possible, so if somebody wants to suggest a thing or two and you like what they suggest, then it's all the better to make it a good story. Absolutely. Now, why don't we get into the first story, which is called Shoulder Gin, and that's spelled D-J-I-N-N, which people probably know from, like, say, the Far East because gin over there are kind of like genies and stuff like that. So that's where that comes from. Shoulder gin, you've got this really interesting thing because you take what a lot of stories do. They'll have like, you know, they talk about angels on your shoulder. You often see like even in cartoons, you'll see you'll have a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other. And this time instead of angels, you chose gin, which I thought was really interesting. Why did you go that route instead of angels? Well, in the second volume of Modern Testament, I used a golem, which is... Not really Christian mythology is more of a Jewish thing. Right. So Jin is more of a Islamic mythological character. So when I decided I want to use them, I had to do a lot of research and figure out the best way to try to make a, a story that would fit their theme well. Mm-hmm. And so when I was reading a lot about them, they're, they're sort of beings that kind of live amongst us and try to influence us, but at the same time want us to make these decisions on our own. Mm-hmm. Like very soft influences. And it really rang out to me as the shoulder angels, the good and bad. So at the same time, I wanted to, when I was coming off of a title, it kind of worked perfectly. I think it's interesting because they don't have wings. The good one is blue colored and the bad one is red, which of course is what we associate with demons and stuff. Was that all the stuff that you had in mind for the story or did the artist co- contribute to that? How did that work out? The biggest, I would say, contribution that the artist made to the story was that in my original script, the jinns were very generic, I would say. They were just kind of like, hu- imagine a human torch, like Johnny Storm from Marvel Comics. It was just a, a character that was on fire. It was just a, a human flame, basically. Mm. And uh, the good one was blue and the bad one was red. And when the artists came back with their designs, they gave them an, a more Middle Eastern feel of actual jinn, the way we commonly see them in a, a lot of movies and other comic books. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what, this works a lot better than my plain old just guy on fire routine. So they definitely gave him more of it, an identity, which was a surprise to me that I think worked out well. Very cool. Now, of course, they look identical to each other, even down to like a hair hanging down off of the, the top of their head, except the only difference is really the color. And a lot of the time, the way that they speak is different. Of course, you've got word balloons that are the, when the red gin speaks, his balloon is red. And when the blue one speaks, his is blue. And I just I found that kind of interesting to do it. It helps us keep track of who's saying what to who, which is I always think is a good way to do that. 
So I, you said that he got this, he basically made this into more of a Islamic kind of a character and stuff like that. And look at that. Was there anybody, did they tell you if they picked anybody in particular they were basing these on? I don't think so. I mean, I think when somebody says genie, they obviously have an image that immediately pops into their head and they were kind of going off that. So when I was thinking of jinn, I was just thinking of more along the lines as, as generic spirits. Mm-hmm. And they kind of gave them more form and more identity, which makes them pop a little bit more. Mm-hmm. What I find interesting, too, is that we start out and the first one we see is the red one, which I found really interesting. And was there a reason why you started with the red one? Because what's happening is the main character is Tommy, who we're going to talk about in a minute, too. But he's in bed, and what happens is we get to see them, and uh, he's basically standing on Tommy's bed while he's sleeping, which I thought was interesting. How, yes, how, why did you start that way? Well, the way the characters kind of influence people, mm-hmm. it's kind of obviously some people are better than others, and some people are more evil than others. And so the influences that the jinn have on them is going to be different. So the bad jinn is really the dominating force in Tommy. Hmm. But it's not the only force. So we see times when the good jinn, his better half, throws a little curveball in there. But the, the bad jinn is always there. And as we see in the very first panel of the story, he's literally over him while he's sleeping. So that's the dominating force that's in his life. Now talk about, too, why when the bad jinn is standing there, everything's black and white except him. But when it's reality, quote-unquote, it's full color, was that to give us a chance, a, a feeling of that something was different as far as from the bad jinn's perspective? Well, that was mainly my biggest selling point as far as the story's concerned. I like ideas that we can use that are purely comic ideas. And a lot of other mediums, you can't really get that. Mm-hmm. So being able to play around with color was a, a big plus for me going into this story. Mm-hmm. So the reason that the when the jinn show up in the story, everything is black and white, is because they don't really exist in our world per se. They exist between worlds, and they interact with us in vague whispers that we don't consciously know are there, mm-hmm. but they're kind of there in the back of our minds. Mm-hmm. And... Let's get into talking about Tommy, because as an individual, he's really sympathetic. I mean, there are things going on in his life that are that you can't help but feel for. And he's in a situation where he's got a choice to make between the good jinn and the bad jinn. And I really liked the way that you handled it. You made us really feel for the character so we could relate to what was happening to him. So talk about Tommy a little bit. Is he based on anybody because of his mother and things like that? Was that all based maybe on your personal life or other things? Well, it's funny that you mention that because the first version of this script, this script went through a big rewrite. And the first version of it, Tommy was a lot younger and he was a lot, I would say, more mischievous than evil. I mean, I wouldn't say he's evil to begin with. But when he's younger, it's a lot more the good and bad aspects of him are a little bit more childish. Mm -hmm. Like he's thinking about skipping school and playing video games. Mm -hmm. He's thinking about bullying a kid and uh, just kind of making poking fun of him. And I realized that the story wasn't giving off the impact that I really wanted. Mm -hmm. So the way I changed that was I made Tommy older Mm -hmm. and I upped the ante, upped the stakes a lot more. You'll see right off the bat in the second version of the story, the one that's printed in the book, Tommy's mother's sick. Mm-hmm. And that really weighed on his conscience a lot more than just his mother was sick and is healthy in the first draft. So mm-hmm. he's just kind of a punk just to be a punk as opposed to 
uh, punk that really wants to do the right thing and has a lot of stress in his life. Mm-hmm. Well, I really like that. Not having the mother being ill and having situations that he was struggling to deal with made it really interesting. Of course, he ends up in a situation which I'd never spoil because I thought the way you did the ending was really a surprise to me. Normally in these situations, a story will go a very certain way, but you don't do that. You go another way, which I think made this story of all the three, which I liked them all, but this one popped out the most to me because of how interesting it is how the story concludes is really 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 well written well thank you now talk to me too about the fact that we see sometimes in cartoons and stuff where the the angels will struggle and when he's making a decision we see them fight about this uh, as about which choice he should make and they represent what's going on in him don't they yeah pretty much when the good and bad versions the symbolism is almost right in your face when Tommy's really forced to make a good or bad decision, the good and bad Jin are fighting in the worlds between worlds as his own conscience is struggling to make a choice. Mm-hmm. That's really something. And uh, like I said, I love the end. I was so surprised by the choice that you made. So that's what made this whole story really pop out to me was the fact that you went a different route than people might normally expect. So I really like this one quite a lot. I, I thought this was the best of the three, although I loved all three. I would agree with you. Okay, let's get to the second one. The second one is called... The Abandoned, I believe. The Abandoned, yes, which is a very different kind of a story. Can you set it up for us? Give us like a TV Guide version of what it is. So The Abandoned was my version of a Nephilim story. And there's not a whole lot on the Nephilim as far as from a research standpoint. Generally speaking, in popular culture, in similar mythological media, movies, and comics and stuff, Nephilim are viewed as half angel, half human. They're they're spawn when an angel mates with a woman. Mm -hmm. And they're also viewed as giants in context. Nephilim are are typically giants. So when I try to combine those two ideas and try to get the heart of the main driving factor in creating the story was an angel who just came down, mated with a woman, and had a baby, and what happens next? Mm -hmm. Basically where I took the story. Mm Well, it's really kind of interesting because it's a confrontation between the son and the mother is largely what's going on. And we discover a lot of what's going on through the dialogue. And there's some drama taking place as well. And we begin to understand what's happening. And there's a lot of discussion as to who the son really takes after. Is it more after the father or the mother? Is he more human or is he more angel? And we get a lot of debate. You know, an angel isn't necessarily a good thing. And so we get to see this discussion going on about the fact that, you know, he might be angel, but is that necessarily something the mother really wants? So I really like the, the way the debate hands. And when it gets to the end, I really liked it. There's a conclusion to the discussion, really. You expect to be, you know, of course, we read in comics, we all expect action-oriented type stories. This is much more of a dramatic one. And I like the way it ended real well. I thought that the two of them kind of come to an understanding, which is very unusual in comics where characters understand each other. So I really like the way that you did that story. Uh, I would actually disagree with you. Okay. I, don't, I don't think that they come to an understanding at the end of the story. Okay. I think... The the funny thing about this story is that it's created in a supernatural context. Mm -hmm. But you could take the supernatural out of it, and this could be a completely realistic story. I'm sure there are plenty of situations that are completely similar to this where you can replace the angel with just a regular guy. And there's plenty of people, I think, in our everyday life who might run into a similar situation. 
So the boy definitely has something to say. But it, at the the end of the story, I don't really want to give any of it away. Of course. But they still live together. Mm-hmm. They, the story takes place in their house. And at some point in time, this conversation is not over. They're going to have to have this conversation again. Okay. Cause I, when I, I got to this discussion, the way the, the things that were said made me kind of think that there was some kind of a resolution to it. But that's interesting. So I didn't quite turn out the way I interpreted it. So well, that's good to know. Because sometimes when you read a short story, sometimes you may interpret because of what your perspective is what you think is happening so i'm glad to know that didn't turn out quite the way i thought it was yeah well if you think about in your own household if you ever are living with someone and you have a fight with them and somebody walks out on the fight at some point in time you have to come home and you're going to see each other again Mm -hmm. you know you you actually could do another one of these although you probably (laughs) have hit the high point as far as this is going is with the relationship between these two but uh that's interesting that's interesting i I so didn't get the ending of that so i'm glad you explained that to me but uh, well i don't want to tell you how to view the ending however you want to view it however you want to view it okay well it's it's still really good i like this one a lot this is very different in the first one we've got some conflict physical conflict apparently between the two gins and this one is much more uh, dramatic. So I think it, it's great that you can write different kinds of stories. And that was the thing I was really impressed by, was that you did a really good job with the first one. And the second one is a lot more dramatic in the sense that there's discussion. There is some physical things taking place, but a lot of it is based on what's being said to each other. So I kind of thought that was a nice change of pace from the first story. I think the biggest difference is that the first story, there's action, but the story plays out over a um, definite expanse. There's setting changes and scene changes. This scene takes place in a very tight quarters, and it's, like you said, it's a lot more dialogue-driven, and it's a tight, enclosed space that the two characters are in. So the tension is different between the two Mm -hmm. than in the first story. That's cool. Well, I love a good story. So, you know, even if I don't quite get it on the when I read it, I love to be able to find out what's really going on and stuff like that. So it makes the story even more interesting to me, knowing that the ending was a little different to what I interpreted it to be. So that's pretty cool. Very cool. So let's get to the third one, which is called Down With The Sickness, which is an interesting title name. Because, you know, I think that most people would think that we're saying, down with the sickness, you know, <laughs> we go away. But actually, I think what you, correct me if I'm wrong, if this is down with the sickness, they're down with the sickness. In other words, they get it, they understand it, they like it. Is that yeah, what the title is about? I, I took the title from the, a Disturbed song. Oh. Which is, down with the sickness is pretty much the same interpretation that you had, saying that people are down with it, they're okay with it. Mm-hmm. Now, talk about this story a little bit, because this is where Pestilence gets involved, and he's quite the nasty character. So anybody who's read the first two will know that each volume concludes with the different horsemen of the apocalypse. The first story, we went through famine. The second story, we saw war. Mm-hmm. And now we're up to Pestilence. And Pestilence is the uh, different, completely different characters than the first two. Mm-hmm. And he, he definitely has more of a Joker vibe, more of a crazy vibe. Mm-hmm. And the way I wanted to express him in the story is that anybody can get sick, Mm -hmm. really. With famine, there's a lot of people who probably will not be affected by famine, depending on where you live in the world. Mm -hmm. There's a a lot of people with war, depending on where you live, you probably never experienced a war zone. But at any point in time, we can have a superbug or a disease that nobody's expecting. And it doesn't matter how much money you have or how well insulated you are, even the person at the top of the food chain can be affected to, to sick and to getting sick, and there's no honor in it, or it's it's an ugly thing. 
Now, what's interesting, too, this is another dramatic story as opposed to punching and kicking, which comic people are used to. It starts out with a protest against Apollo Pharmaceuticals. And, of course, we can relate to that today. There's a lot of talk about pharmaceutical companies and how they raise the prices and change things and stuff like that in order to be more profitable. And so there's a there's protests outside of it, and the TV is covering it. But then we move to a more personal story of the gentleman who's sick in the hospital in the in the bed. Don't, maybe that's not a hospital. Maybe he's in like a, a personal residence or something. Yeah, I think he he's in his penthouse there, and he's because he's so rich, he can set it up like it's a hospital. Mm-hmm. Which is and, and of course he sits there for a long time. All the the uh, staff goes away, and he's just kind of sitting there looking. And all of a sudden he looks up, and that's where pestilence appears. And and he shows up really interesting on the, on the bottom right panel just before you turn the page it was like a little kind of like a peekaboo kind of thing ah! <laughs> which is really something i just and of course he's you, you talked about the joker thing he's got on his uh, face mask he's got this smile written on there how does the joker and pestilence how do they in, how does that happen how do they work together like that that was just the overall personality that i gave to him mm-hmm. that he's a real devious character he gets people sick like really sick nobody likes being that sick and it's a it's a very sad thing. It's a depressing thing. It's an ugly thing. But he enjoys it. He gets a kick out of it. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite aspects of the story, I don't know if you noticed, but he's dressed up like a doctor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's got the hospital gown on. And on his mask, you see he's got a smile. Mm-hmm. But then on his hospital cap, mm-hmm. he has a biohazard sign on one side. Mm-hmm. On the other side, it says Born to Cure, which, yeah. which I pretty much stole from uh, Full Metal Jacket when he's got <sighs> Born to Kill and the, the peace sign. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of where I got that. I had a little bit of a kick coming up with his look and his design and his feel. And of course, there's one place, because he's pestilence, he can't help but spread germs. And one of the ways that a lot of us get really bothered by is when people spread germs through sneezing. And he actually does some of that in the story. And I, I could relate to that because, you know, you'll sit on a bus or on a subway or something and never fails the person behind you is going to sneeze. Mm-hmm. And then you start to worry. And some of us with bad sinuses, we get sick as a result of that. So every time I see somebody sneeze, I go, oh. And when he does it in here, I just had the same reaction. Oh, no. Oh, no, not that. So that was a good choice for as far as what he wanted to do and spread germs and things like that. So I kind of like that a lot. It tapped right into my fears. Yeah, I, f- I wanted to make that an ugly panel, which I think the artist did a successful job at pulling that off. That when Pestilence sneeze, you're going to get some nasty stuff coming out. Yeah. Now, talk about the resolution. Of course, we don't want to spoil it, but let's just say the things resolve for the person in the penthouse by the end of the story. And it's such an interesting thing. I, once again, it, it has a Twilight Zone kind of feel to me that just because somebody is rich doesn't mean things are going to go well for them. Do you want to talk about how you came up with the conclusion? What happened as far as the character in your mind as to how you wanted to wrap up his story? So I would say this ending from the feedback I got from people was probably the most frustrating ending. Not so much that they didn't like it, Mm -hmm. but they wanted to know what it meant or what came after it. Mm -hmm. And I say came after whatever we wanted to come after, it came after it. Because the point of the story was that Pestilence was going to take the man down from his ivory tower and he was Mm going to show that he can get to anybody at any time. Mm -hmm. And whether that was just a threat whether or not that was the actual start of something is kind of ambiguous and it's up to you to decide because he accomplished his goal and he's accomplished his mission and the rest is up to you. 
Is that why Pestilence chose this guy? Because he is in an ivory tower? He probably feels like he's invulnerable? I think so. I think he chose him as a symbol. Mm -hmm. That he's not just a rich guy, but he's a a rich guy with a pharmaceutical company at his disposal. Mm -hmm. And if he could take him down, he could take anybody down. Well, another frustrating thing you do at the conclusion of the story is you have the end, but before those words, in a parenthesis, you have the word almost. Which makes you wonder that there's more story to come there. Is there more story as far as this particular setting goes? Well, I, if you've noticed, I use that same VN caption for every single one of the Horseman stories. Mm-hmm. And there is no real point behind that, no real thought behind that, other than the fact that all these stories take place before the apocalypse actually kicks off. Mm-hmm. So when I say almost the end, it means that as far as these guys are concerned, sometime it will be the end. So that ends almost here. Mm-hmm. So this is Volume 3. How do people get a hold of Volume 3? You can get Volume 3 through all the places you can get insane comics, either drive through Comics Online or Comixology. The best place is probably through the Insane Comics website, mm-hmm. which is insanecomics.com. And then you can click on comics, and from there you can get a print or a digital version, and you can see all the Modern Testament titles there, too. Okay, very good, very good. Now, as far as this particular series goes, you know, you've done three volumes, and we had three different Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and of course there are, if I remember correctly, there are seven Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Are you going to continue to do this series by having a different Horseman of the Apocalypse in the last story of each volume? You're right, but um, you're wrong in saying that there's seven, there's four. Oh, four? Okay, sorry. There's only four, so you consider the last one, but it'll be the last, the fourth horseman is coming. Okay, so are you working on that next volume now? I am, I am. I do not have a release date yet. It will probably be sometime around the summer. Okay, so we'll have the fourth, if we know the four horsemen of the apocalypse, we'll probably have an idea who that last story is going to be about. If you know who it is, yes. Okay, so we won't, we won't spoil that here. We just Maybe people <laughs> will actually go and do some reading and find out who that is. Uh, as now is that going to be you talked about there's going to be an apocalypse coming is volume four the last one or are you going to delve into the apocalypse say in volume five uh i don't know mm-hmm. anything's possible never say never mm-hmm. okay so good things well i love the three volumes so far they're very different and i love different variety in my reading so for me these have been one of those great things to be able to read shorter stories that are more concise and really interesting and well told. I, I love that in a, today because honestly, there aren't many of these kinds of books out. So I was glad you took on the challenge and made it work and made these books really something interesting to read. Thanks. My goal was to do something different, to put something different on the market that people can, both in length, in style, and tone. And I want to say subject matter too, but there are other stories you can read with angels and demons and such. But um, I think I give a, a little unique flair to it in the fact that I'm not going for a big grand story, big grand plot. I'm giving each character its time and its due. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, having the two gin on the shoulders was something I've never seen before. So right there, you've done something creative that I haven't seen at least. <laughs> Thank you. So I like those kinds of things. I love it when somebody challenges my thinking about doing stuff like that. And to take that out of the Christian perspective and move it into a more Islamic one was really something interesting to me. It put a whole other spin on it than I hadn't thought before. So I like that. Very good. So now, okay, you've got this is in possibly volume four is in the works and that'll be coming out. Any other projects you're working on that we should be aware of? Uh, Nothing really. As far as comics going, I'm working on some stuff, but it's all in the beginning stages. Nothing really to show. I do have some short pro stories that are coming out in some anthologies. Mm. The, the next one is coming out on Saturday. 
from Burning Willow Press. It's a horror anthology based on urban legends. Mm. If you wanted to, to take a look at it, I'll be posting about it on my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash frankmartinwriter. Is that the best way to keep up with your stuff? Is to go because now this won't be on Insane Comics. This will be somewhere else. So It'll be somewhere different. Yeah, you can also if you could also get a hold of me on Twitter mm-hmm. at Frank the Writer is my handle, and I'll be posting about that anthology too on there. We're cool, we're cool. Well, I like the way you do creative stuff. You do something a little different, and like I said, after reading comics for decades, I like something that challenges me or gives me a different perspective. So I like what you do, Frank. It's really good stuff. Well, thank you. Okay, well, why don't we go ahead and, and conclude it there. It's been good talking with you, and I'm looking forward to that. Please keep us in mind when you do Volume 4, because I really want to get a chance to read that and talk about it and maybe even get to write a review of it, because I really like that it's, it's something so different. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to do, be one of those people that looks up and see who the fourth horseman of the apocalypse is. <laughs> I don't get, remember that. Where'd you get seven from? I don't know. It's, maybe it's the seven angels or something. or some. Maybe you're thinking of uh, the seven deadly sins. Yes, maybe that's it. That's it. Seven is like a perfect number when it comes to biblical things. And I always tend to think that when there's something I don't know, it's a seven. <laughs> so that's why they did that. But you've got the four. So I'll go. I'll find out what the fourth one is. So I'll have a jump on the next issue. So that'll be good. And I encourage people, hey, go and do reading on some of these characters because it's good to know some of the mythology when you read the stories and to be able to find out things like that. I don't think we know enough about these things. And this is why when like horror movies or stuff comes out, though, it's always shocking to us because we don't understand the characters. It was like Krampus for Christmas, yeah, stuff like that. Nobody knew what Krampus was until a couple of years ago. He was a, a European creation, and he's been around forever. Yeah, you know, we didn't know it over here in the U.S. So for us, it's all kind of stuff. I was at a convention this past weekend, and there was a Krampus guy walking around in the convention. <laughs> and I called out to him and said, "Hey, Krampus!" And he looked over. He said, "Yeah, you gave me the thumbs up." He said, "Somebody knows who Krampus is." So kind of fun stuff like that. You ever thought about doing like a Christmas story? Uh, Christmas story. Yeah, I wrote a, I wrote a uh, just this past summer. I wrote a Christmas story for a horror anthology. Okay, I wrote it just to write it, but I wasn't really too happy with the way it came out, and the oh. anthology itself fell apart. Oh, but yeah, I like to say never say never as far as the stories go. Because like mythological and religious stuff, while we get over a month of say religious, if you want to put, call it mythological, some people do. Well, I know you've interviewed uh, a Braden Cox, haven't you, yes. with the Claiming Godhood series? We yes. were planning, when I was finishing with Modern Testament, we were going to do a, a little crossover of the two series. Oh. That's kind of in the, in the works, in the plans. Okay, well, you know, maybe someday. You know, you'll say never say never, so that could still happen, hopefully. And love to read it, because I, I, I love that book, too. I think that there are a lot of things you guys do at Insane Comics that I really enjoy. And, you know, I, you never know what can happen. Mm-hmm. And those kinds of things. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, Frank, keep up the terrific work. I can't wait to read more of your stuff and keep us informed and keep us in mind when Volume 4 comes around. Do you have any kind of an idea as to when it might happen or is it pretty much open right now? I'm shooting for June. If not, then in probably August. Okay, that'll be good. Anytime it comes out in the summer, that's before the holidays, so it gives people a chance to. But see, this is a perfect release time for your book. Just is right in front of the holidays, so this is the way to do it. So I encourage anybody, if you want to get something for a comics reader that you haven't read before, or something that's a little different, be sure to get these books because they are really wonderful stuff. And I think the comics readers, I don't think enough comics readers know about your stuff so i would encourage you to get out there and get this and kind of help spread the word by giving these away to friends who may not know about this series so do that i think for the holidays (laughs) thanks people need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy and i can't do that as bruce wayne as a man 
that I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but it's a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. I hope you're enjoying a wonderful holiday season and that you'll be back next week when I'll have another great interview with another terrific comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 